This is Earning Their Stripes on the Fish Stripes Podcast channel, our show dedicated to the minor league side of the Miami Marlins organization. Specifically for listeners of this show, I highly, highly recommend following the Fish Prospects Twitter account. That's a satellite account on top of our usual Fish Stripes account, and it focuses, as you would guess, on prospects. Reaching 1,000 followers there before the end of the year would be a neat milestone. I'm Eli Sussman, managing editor of Fish Stripes. Let me tell you all about today's special guest right after this commercial break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Andrew McInvale was acquired by the Marlins on June 29th in the bizarre Corey Dickerson, Adam Simber, Joe Panic trade. Remember that one? Even in the moment, it seemed like McInvale, a heart-throwing reliever in the midst of his first full-length professional season, was the key piece going back to Miami. And sure enough, with Panic struggling as much as he did in late 2021 and then electing free agency, it's totally up to McInvale to salvage that trade from a Marlins perspective. Through 43 career games in the minors, the Liberty University alum has pitched to a 4.68 ERA and 1.44 whip in 65 and a third innings. If his hot stretch towards the end of the AA season is any indication, his best work is yet to come. McInvale is a strikeout machine and a Tommy John surgery survivor, and he used to have an elite beard that will hopefully come back someday, please. He generously took the time to join me on ETS to make this MLB lockout a little bit more entertaining. Enjoy. We are closing out 2021 here on Earning Their Stripes very appropriately by interviewing a Marlins player that I think has some attributes that you look for in a future closer. Uh, Andrew McInvale is a 25-year-old right-handed pitcher who's relatively new to the Marlins organization. He came over from the Blue Jays last summer in a four-player trade, Mm -hmm. uh, and he spent the rest of the season with AA Pensacola, striking out a third of all the batters that he faced. It might not be long before he has an opportunity to break through to the highest level, so there's a lot to cover with you, Andrew, on and off the field. Really appreciate you coming through for me and here on the pod. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I wanted to start with the basics because you might be surprised how many people listening to this have probably seen you pitch or at least seen the highlights mm-hmm. of you pitch last year. I'm not sure how many of them actually got to see full games of you or know right. of much what you did like through the years. Just the basics on your pitch mix. Can you just tell us what's in your arsenal and how you try to get guys out, how you try mm-hmm. to attack hitters um, 
when you're feeling at the top of your game. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I like to stay aggressive on the mound. I'm pretty fastball heavy. I think I threw my fastball around 65% of the time this, this last season. Um, pair that with my slider. Um, I like to use those up in the zone, um, playing off spin carry, you know, I'm sure you've heard those things before. Um, and then the biggest, uh, the newest development for me is a changeup. Been messing around with um, a splitter at times last year, a Vulcan change, um, just finding that right third pitch for me um, to kind of attack lefties with. But yeah, for right now, fastball, slider, changeup. Right. We're going to get a lot into 2021 in a moment. I wanted to turn it back a couple of years to coming out of the draft in 2019, 37th round draft pick out of Liberty university. What, yeah. it, what was your mindset? What were your expectations heading into the draft? Did you think you were going to get drafted and how did you experience the news? Cause I know everybody, no matter how far you fall, everybody has draft right. memories. Your of story. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, I mean, I, I knew I was going to get drafted. The question was, you know, when, um, and 37th round is definitely not what I was thinking going into it. Um, and I had some, you know, offers earlier in the draft, but I kind of negotiated that process by myself. I didn't have uh, an agency with me or an advisor at the time. So it was kind of a whirlwind. And I kind of fumbled the situation a bit, let the pressure, the nerves of like handling that whole process by myself get to me <clears throat> and found myself in the 37th round and just wanting to play pro baseball at that point. And then, so I kind of took um, – the best offer at that point, which you can't really leverage yourself much, you know, in the 37th round, but the Blue Jays gave me a chance. They uh, expressed to me, they wanted me the best they could for that late in the draft. And I believed them. And, um, you know, from there and it definitely worked out like it worked out for me with them. And now I'm a Marlin and I, you know, it all worked out, but no, it, it definitely wasn't what I expected. It wasn't quite as like a happy day as most people probably have. I was kind of more like my head was spinning, but, um, yeah, I kind of now, now that it's all said and done, I kind of embrace it. I, I enjoy the fact that I wasn't like, I mean, it'd be cool to be a first rounder, right? Obviously, but having that 37th and that chip on my shoulder, I, I kind of like it. You might, that might prove to be the very last time that there is a 37th round of a It might be. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I know. I was talking to my buddies about that. No kidding. I might have not gotten drafted if it was a different year. Might have had to be a free agent sign. You know, only five rounds in the year after that, only 20 rounds last year. And we'll, we'll have to see wow. what the new system is with the, the new CBA. But I would guess wow. it's, it's not going to be that long again. So <laughs> it's gonna, that was an, that's interesting, the timing of how that went out. Uh, yeah. Obviously, coming out in the summer, there's only so many innings that you're able to pitch in pro ball right. during that first year. And then 2020 canceled due to COVID. What, right. was, what was the communication like with the Blue Jays uh, during that whole situation because the news comes in i think probably during minor league spring training yeah, during. yeah what what did they tell you at the time and what was the communication like during that year with coaches or anybody else in that organization it was it was weird for everybody i mean we didn't know like you said it happened during minor league spring training so we're there um in fact the way that we like kind of broke news that we were leaving camp was by getting everybody in the organization together in the lunchroom to like talk about COVID, which obviously fast forward a few months, we would have never done that, you know, packed everybody into a small room, but they sent us out. And the idea at first was that we were coming back, you know, stay moving. We're going to come back, try to get through this. Um, and as like days, weeks went by, you could start to tell like, okay, we're, we're not going back this year. I don't think that's going to happen. And so the, uh, 
the mood changed to, okay, let's get prepared for next year. Um, for me personally, I didn't feel like I was in a position to kind of like rest and recover. I felt like I needed to get work done. So I spent all of 2020 like velo programming, you know, working on mechanics, hammering stuff home and really no break. Um, but, you know, that was it was a weird time. That being said, it might have played one of the most crucial roles in my development um, that I've had so far because it gave me so much time to to go back and look at my mechanics and look at what I'm doing on the mound and really dial it in for my first full season that, you know, came this last year, I guess. And going into last year, this is a similar situation, just like the draft when anybody gets traded, there's always an interesting story behind that. And although it's surprising for everybody, it's kind of, it would have to be like on another level for you. Mm -hmm. You got traded in June. Nobody gets traded in June. Yeah, that was pretty weird. I, I wasn't ready for it, to say the least. Oh, so you're involved in that trade with Corey Dickerson and Adam Simber going to Toronto. You're coming along with Joe Panic to Miami. You were with uh, AA New Hampshire at the time. Mm -hmm. How did you get that news, and what was that whirlwind of the time like to completely yeah. relocate and change, mm -hmm. <laughs> completely change organizations? Right, so... I actually, so I woke up that morning, right? It's like 9 a.m. And I, you know, first thing instinctively I get on my phone. I hate that's the first thing I do in the morning. But of course, check my phone and I'm looking at Instagram, right? And I see that there's a trade with the Marlins and the Blue Jays involving, involving uh, Dickerson Panic, um, Simber, and then a minor leaguer. I'm like, no way that's me. Like, I didn't even think twice about it. Two minutes later, I get a call from our farm director, like literally like, like two minutes later while I'm still looking at Instagram, basically. And he's like, buddy, you're, you're out of here. We traded you to Miami. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding? It's not even 930 in the morning yet. Eyes are barely awake. And so I literally packed my stuff, got an Uber and was to the Boston airport, you know, within two hours and Pensacola that day. And it was just it all happened so fast that I almost couldn't wrap my head around it until like I got there, settled in my hotel. But yeah, whirlwind of a day is kind of an understatement. And it would be the first of a bunch of trades that the Marlins made uh, during that portion of the season. And as you said, you, you stayed on the same level, pitching fairly well with Double A at the time mm -hmm. in the Blue Jays, and you stay on the same level uh, when it's coming over to the Marlins. Um, I guess we'll fast forward a little bit to your time. It was a little bit up and down with, yeah, with Pensacola. Yeah, but I mean, what sticks out? I mean, the one particular performance above all else was that immaculate inning on uh, August 13th. As far as I know, on any level of the organization, you're probably the only guy to throw an immaculate inning this year. Nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts, uh, a perfect inning. And I even have it queued up right here. Is that something you even think about when you're pitching or um, for you just because you, you get all the guys out? Is that good enough? Did you even realize that? <laughs> you did what you did when no you I, I honestly had no idea that this was at a moment when this this outing kind of like turned the corner for me i was i was like you said i was struggling when i got over there i think i was trying to do maybe a little too much and you know impress too many people prove that i was you know worth a trade or or whatever you might say but this outing right here i remember going into it and saying i'm gonna focus on like each individual pitch and i'm gonna like you know people say that it sounds cliche like you know, you can't go on to the next pitch until you execute this one, right? But I really took that to heart and really just focused on each individual pitch. And I, can't, I actually came in the inning before this with two outs, struck a guy out on three pitches, came into the dugout, 
was like telling myself, yo, stay within, you know, each pitch, each pitch. Um, went back out there through the inning and came in and I had no idea. I had no idea at all. And my buddies were like, let's go, let's go. That's an immaculate inning. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I had to kind of think what an immaculate inning was for a second. And then I realized like, Oh, that's really cool. And then my brother pointed out that I got the guy, the inning before that too. So I had uh, four strikeouts and 12 pitches. And I mean, that kind of like, obviously you can't expect that every time when you're, you know, following your routine, but that kind of reinforced for me, like, okay, this is the way I need to carry myself. Um, I need to really dial in on this, this, this one pitch at a time philosophy and, uh, after that outing, man, I really did see a turn in my performance and in my confidence on the mound, and I kind of you know, went on a roll from there. I mean, that's an understatement. You were Even if you take out that game, you look at it was, what, one, two, three, four. It was seven games after that, only allowing one run, mm -hmm. uh, basically unhittable down the stretch, even mm -hmm. outside of that one game. Yeah, so is there any nothing anything in particular about that that turned you around? Um or it was all just mentally, psychologically feeling. It was a lot of mental, psychological. I think, you know, coming over the trade your first year, meeting new guys, like, I think I finally settled in. I think I finally, like, was like, all right, I'm not going anywhere. Like, let's let's play some baseball. You know what I mean? Like, stop trying to do too much. And I think I just settled in, for lack of a better word. That's that's what it was. And, um, I mean, sure, started, you know, throwing the change up a tad more. I'm sure that got people off certain pitches, um, tweaked the slider a tad. But, like, Nothing, you know, physically was was the big difference. It was a mental, it was a mindset thing for me that helped me take that next step. We're talking with Andrew McInvale here on Earning Their Stripes on the Fist Stripes podcast. And I guess the only unfortunate part of that final stretch is that you didn't get to pitch even more. There were a couple of series in there, both of them road series, one of them in late August, and then one of them was supposed to be the last game of your regular season that you lost like nine total games off the schedule mm -hmm. because of, of COVID. And I mean, as far as we saw from the outside, it just seemed to be issues with the other team and not necessarily yeah. your team, but that's, I mean, that's pretty uh, un inconvenient. Un that's unusual because baseball players mm -hmm. are not uh, foreign to having games ringed out and to having <laughs> games canceled for whatever reason. Right. But right. what do you remember from, from those series? Uh, well, what was the communication like about, having to lose games because of that reason and, and mm -hmm. had you, you lost a lot of not just games but a lot of days like how do you even right. stay ready to compete after losing a chunk of your schedule like that and the one in the one in august that was in mississippi i think yeah i think it was biloxi maybe when it hit us or maybe it was mississippi braves i don't remember but that one was kind of shocking. They kind of just came in and were like, hey, they're swamped with COVID. Like, we can't play. We're going home. So it kind of – and that was like the first game in the series, second game in the series. So we didn't really, you know, have to think much about that one. The last one, the last series of the year, they got canceled. And I think it was Rocket City. Trash Pandas maybe. Yeah. Um, that one was a lot different. So we, we were going to play night one. Or no, we did play night one. And they had to like field a team with a bunch of COVID guys, like a bunch of guys they flew up to, to replace the COVID guys. Um, and so we squeaked that game in. And then the, the next day they had more guys get COVID. And so we're just sticking to our routine of showing up to the park, you know, getting stretched, getting warmed up, assuming there's a game. Um, and they couldn't field a team. So the third day we, we, we get there and we're ready to play again, you know, stick to our routine, just warm up, eat, do that whole, do that whole deal. And, they couldn't build a team again. So we're like, what's going on here? We, it turns out they were protesting in the parking lot because of like some organizational issues where they didn't feel comfortable playing or something. And we were just going about our business, waiting for the game to start. And 
it never did. That's how our season ended was because the other team didn't want to play. And we were all sitting there kind of like, I mean, this isn't kind of how we wanted to finish our year. You know what I mean? We want to get these last six games in, but it is what it is. And to, to your, to your question, um, we just stay in our routine. You know, you get to the field about the same time every day um, for a 6.30 game, you know. You warm up about the same time. You get your treatment about the same time. So we just stay in that routine. And if the game's on, we're ready to play. And if it's not, then I guess we'll go back to the hotel and play some video games or something. But our routine doesn't change. It's the same every day. It just must have been such an awkward ending to the season, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A few days earlier than it was supposed to be. Uh, You you just got the message that – well, a few like that earlier that week that, well, the rest of the series won't happen. You could go home. It, it yeah. just must have been um you, because usually no matter like what situation you're in, there's like a build up to the end of the schedule. Right, and there's, right. there's like you see the finish line, and there's a uh, even amongst yourself, among mm-hmm. teammates, like it's easier to wrap your head and easier to even get excited for those final games if, if you right. know where it ended. Um, right. what was what was that like vibe in in the clubhouse if? if I mean, it ended earlier than it was supposed to. Yeah, it's it's bittersweet. We were we weren't going to make the playoffs. Um, we had just got eliminated, so we knew we were going home soon. Um, and like you know, it was a long year, so guys were ready to get home. That being said, we had played 140 games. Like we were ready for our last six. Like we were going to get it in and and compete and have fun with it. And guys were ready for their starts. I know I was ready for you know my last two outings of the year, that kind of deal. But. Um, I don't know. There was so much adversity thrown at us throughout the year that like, that was just another curveball. Like we were ready for it. Like not how you want it to draw out, but the whole season kind of, it wasn't the way you wanted it drawn out anyway. So just, just part of it, part of the life and we move on. I wanted to get your thoughts on a few of your teammates because already this off season, you may have noticed that the major league level, the Marlins mm-hmm. are finally like making some aggressive moves to try mm-hmm. to compete coming off a pretty Allows a year, and to do that, you know, they had to dive into some of their farm system depth. Not you yet, <laughs> and it doesn't seem like that. That's nothing you got to worry about. But some of the guys you played with um, yeah. for uh, Pensacola down the stretch, like in particular, two different trades: Cameron Meisner going to Tampa mm-hmm. Bay, uh, Kyle Nicholas going to uh, part of the Pittsburgh deal. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, especially with with Meisner, you probably intersected like a really small amount of time. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious just about those two guys. Um, do you have any scouting reports on what you saw from them while playing <laughs> alongside them? Yeah, I got scouting reports. Uh, Kyle's a beast and uh, Mize is a beast. They're both great baseball players, man. Meisner's a freak. Guys, you know, like 6'4", 6'5", 220 pounds, runs like a deer, like just an absolute tooled up in the outfield. Um, no question in my mind he's going to be, you know, playing baseball for a long time. Um, Kyle, same thing. Like, look at that guy. He's 6'4", 6'5". Thick legs, athletic guy can throw gas, like got a good pitch mix. Like both those guys, I'm excited to see where their career goes. I think they're both going to be studs in the future. Um, I hate to see them go, but I'll tell you what, we did have some fun while we were together. That's for sure. I feel the same way, which is uh, why that those moves were kind of gut-wrenching for me. With, yeah, with those two guys in particular, uh, they uh, both of them, if, if they reach their full potential, they are not just yeah. big leaguers, but – impact big leaguers good ones for sure absolutely i'm with you i'm with you yeah um what else did i want to get to Uh, among the guys that are still in the organization Mm -hmm. so later this week we're in the middle of the lockout i I have nothing better to do i'm going to update our top prospects list at Mm -hmm. fish drives and i was wondering if if you have any 
nominations you want to put in a good word for uh aside from those guys the guys that are still in the organization yeah. that you, you played with over those couple months uh with Pensacola is there anybody that you feel is a, a little bit overlooked at this time and you think it, you feel especially high on moving forward um probably my boy Zach LeBan I don't know okay. if you know LeBan but yeah. he's a relief guy I, I know this I met the kid the day I got to uh Pensacola and he was like you know welcoming super cool guy whatever he goes in that night and I'm like, you know, this guy looks pretty athletic. Like he can throw pretty hard and he's closing out the game and he's hitting 99. I'm like, dude, what is going on? This kid is throwing gas. And from that day I was like, okay, he's got it. He's just doing it like the rest of us trying to figure out that consistency, but this kid's got it for sure. So I would say LeBan might get slept on a little bit. Um, I know my boy McCambly gets a lot of hype, but he needs some more hype because he's nasty. He's got a great breaker, um, super competitor. Um, but yeah, I think those two boys deserve some respect for sure. McCampbell, former guest on our pod earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he, he had a, probably even a better year than we hoped. Like his first year in pro ball already making awesome. it to double A awesome. as a starter. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. As we went through uh, this year with the trade, and uh, what I also gloss over is at the start of the year getting assigned to high A Vancouver and, and then getting assigned to New Hampshire, then getting traded and spring training before that. And um, where are you during the offseason? You're back in Texas. Mm -hmm. right? Austin, Texas. Yes, sir. Uh, so you trotted all around the country uh, during <laughs> this type of year. Uh, and as, as you know, moving forward, that they're trying to, that part doesn't get easier, I guess, for my yeah. early years, but the fact that the major league teams are finally committed to, covering the expenses and the stresses mm -hmm. of housing moving forward. That's supposed to be a big change heading yeah. into uh, to the 2022 season uh, mm -hmm. for someone coming off the season. Like you did uh, moving to three different corners of the country. Uh, I, I was wondering if you could like, just give some perspective on uh, how, how stressful that may have been at times this year and how much easier you think it would be uh, having support of major league teams in a way that there hasn't been in the past. Right. I mean, so for me, I got I got lucky. I got really lucky. Like you said, I went to high A to start the year and I was shipped out of there before I ever found housing. So like I had had an apartment deal kind of set up to, to move into. But before I was able to even move into there, um, I was up to New, New Hampshire. Um, that was that was tougher housing. We stayed in like a team, like a hotel, like at the at the field um, and we paid for it, got a little team discount. Um, and that was, you know, pretty expensive to stay in a hotel, but like we made it work, you know, it, it, you know what you're kind of getting into with this, with this life. Um, and then when I was traded to Pensacola or to, to, to the Marlins and I was in Pensacola, um, I just got lucky. My grandfather happens to have a house there. So I was able to move in there and, and take advantage of that and kind of save some money on rent. But like for guys who don't have that option, it's tough, man. It's tough. You get eight guys in a house sometimes, you know, and, um, I don't think that's like, you know, the org's fault or anything. Cause that's how it's been for so long. But I think it's, it's saying, you know, it's, 
it's an understatement how how much it helps us uh, the the MLB and organizations are stepping up the way they are to to take care of housing for us because it's going to make those transitions way easier. Um, exp- I mean, especially for guys that aren't like myself and had that lucky you know fall into your lap situation. So I think it's going to be a great thing for the game and great for us minor league guys for sure. I, I don't think you could overstate how convenient that must have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I was in Pensacola in that exact city. That mm-hmm. It's literally so like the fields on the uh, like it, it was probably 20 minutes from the field max. Yeah. And some guys unfortunately had to live like in I don't know if you're familiar with that little area, but some guys were having to live, you know, 45 minutes away in Perdido Key just because it's hard to find like summer housing in that area. You know what I mean? In that you know, little pocket, people are wanting to be there all summer. People are renting their Airbnbs for way more in that time. You know how it is. And so yeah. Guys were having to live a pretty good distance from the field. That's probably the biggest, you know, issue is having to drive forty-five to an hour just to get to to work every day. Yeah, I, I did see uh, a couple people with that exact complaint um, mm-hmm. about that how it was set up. But uh, yeah, I'm just glad. I mean, we'll, we'll still wait on the specifics of exactly how that works. But we're not sure. But yeah, yeah. But I think it's going to be a great thing regardless, right? Free housing's free housing. Right. Hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's spin it forward a little bit as, as we close this out. What was um, were there any particular things that anybody in the organization w- told you to work on this offseason, or things that you yourself prioritized, thinking that you'll need to do this, this, and this if you want to be able to get guys out at the higher levels? Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, well, I know the, the one thing that Warren for sure wants me to work on is developing that changeup, right? Getting that you know solidified, like my third pitch. Um, and then other than that, really just bringing that walk rate down by, you know, a batter per nine, one and a half per nine, like it was a tad too high. And I think that was mainly because of one little stretch in time. We fixed that towards the end, but just showing that, hey, we're going to be in the zone. We're going to be competitive and we've got the three pitch mix. And I think once I do that and, you know, the sky's the limit, but got to prove uh, to the org that we developed that pitch this offseason and, and got better for sure. I don't think there's any place you'd rather be if you have to develop a changeup, right? Like mm-hmm. in this organization in particular, we've seen guys graduate to the big league level with great changeups mm-hmm. from Pablo Lopez, Sixto Sanchez, Sandy mm-hmm. Alcantara, guys, guys you played with um, that have pretty nasty changes mm-hmm. as well. That that's I can't really put my my finger on it, but that is like one particular thing that they've shown like again and again and again. Mm-hmm. They they can uh, they can get guys to to do it. Like mm-hmm. so for you, like. Is it simply a matter of repetition, you think, that's going to get that done? Or um, any other particular tips that they give you about the change that they think is going to translate for you? I mean, we talk about, you know, certain finger pressures and stuff, but they, they trust me. Uh, it's it's a repetition thing mainly. They trust me to know that I'm going to come home this offseason and, and, and figure out what it takes to fix that pitch, right, to make it a, a playable pitch. Um they gave me a few different grips to play with and stuff like that, but they're not, you know, they're not trying to give me a, a, a one way, you know, one size fits all change up or anything throughout the org. They're, they're leaving it open for me to kind of, you know, tinker with and stuff. But um, for me, I'm, I'm not a big finesse guy. I, I, the grip is kind of important for me. That's why I've been going with the Vulcan change. So I can kind of just grip it and, and let it rip. And I don't have to think much. Um, some guys can, you know, be a little more finesse with it. So it's all different. But, yeah, for me, it's a repetition thing. Come home this offseason, rep it out, get comfortable with it, and let it play in the game. 
the last thing to, to mention is that if they are like prioritizing this third pitch for you and you think it's important, like that's usually something you focus on if you're a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. And for you, since entering pro ball, it, it seems that you've been on this pretty clear track mm-hmm. as a reliever. And that's, I mean, how you were used this mm-hmm. entire year. Uh, where are, where are you at with what, how you see yourself moving forward? Is it, is it really as simple as just focusing on being the best reliever you can? Or do you think that if this third pitch comes along, I, I obviously you started going back to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that so, something that you're still motivated and, and hopeful to get back to? Right. To no, back I, mean, I wouldn't say I'm motivated and hopeful to become a starter again. Like I like being a reliever. I really enjoyed the, the mindset of like coming in, blow doors, like, you know, aggressive. I don't have to save anything. Right. Um, that being said, like, I didn't say I had to stop at one inning, right? Like, I'll go for two, three innings if you let me. I know there was a there was an outing early in the year when I was with New Hampshire when our starter got hurt, and I went, like, four and two-thirds or something like that, and I felt like I was getting stronger. My velo was actually peaking a little bit towards the end of it. So I think I could do it for sure. Um, I guess that's just where I'm at, like, within my, my belief in myself. I don't see any issue why I couldn't pitch for longer, you know, in the game, but – Right now I'm in the bullpen and I'm focusing on being, you know, the best, uh, you know, the best I can be in the bullpen and being a valuable piece in the bullpen. You know what I'm saying? And know that's where my, my spot is right now. And so I'm focused on that. And uh, you, you did finish off a bunch of games this past year, but I don't think you got credited with a, a save yet. Are you somebody that um, puts a certain premium on that role? Um, I know yeah. baseball as a whole, um, and this is something that, I mean, me personally, I've been hoping the Marlins move in this direction too, where they don't focus too much on who gets credited with the save, that the right. most important endings are sometimes obviously before the ninth when right. the leverage is, is higher is so is that a particular goal for you to be the guy that closes out the games or are you uh it, it seems that you have like a, a more new age mindset about that right i mean would it be cool to have that title yeah obviously right like everybody wants the title of like closer you know what i mean and it's more of a respect thing too because like you know that the team is trusting you with that situation um you know closing out the game but like you said there's big situations in the sixth inning seventh inning high leverage moments late in the game that aren't the ninth inning. Right. And so for me, I don't care when I pitch, you know, I just want to, when the team calls on me, I want them to know and have confidence that I'm going to do my job. And whenever that is, I'm ready to go. It could be the third inning, first inning, seventh inning, ninth inning. It makes no difference to me. I'll be ready. So I think that's the kind of mindset that most guys in the bullpen have, you know, we're kind of just on edge at all times. Um, But no, the title's cool, but not needed at all. Yeah, I, I wish more guys had that mindset for you. Uh, honestly, with the Marlins in particular, they kind of, at least at the major league level, they kind of fall into that trap where it's back to bite them sometimes when you don't get adjust, when you don't adjust and when you don't worry about actually putting guys in the most particular situation where they're, they can be most successful. Right. But um, this has been Andrew McInvale, uh, right-handed pitcher for the Marlins, heading into uh, 2022, um, really within reach of reaching the big leagues despite being – drafted in a round that it's not going to exist moving forward. It's, mm-hmm. it's been a, it's been a pretty great story for you to just reach this point. And uh, I mean, I was saying it at the time, uh, all due respect to Joe panic and what he accomplished uh, in his career. But at the time of the trade, it was pretty clear that you were the, the guy that the Marlins mm-hmm. prioritized the most in that deal, that, that for them to make that trade, it was showing a lot of confidence in mm-hmm. the type of pitcher that you could be moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, no pressure, but they, uh, 
I, th- I think they do have a lot of confidence in, in what he can do moving forward. And it was a lot of fun watching you pitch this past season. And it was great that. getting to know you a little bit better here on the pod. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You could uh, follow him on Twitter at Andrew McInvale on uh, Instagram at Andrew McInvale 21. Uh, looking forward to seeing how the rest of this offseason goes and follow Fish Stripes, uh, obviously on all our gajillion different platforms. Uh, make sure you continue to subscribe to the same pod feed. Uh, in addition to earning their stripes, we got all our other programmings on the same convenient spot for all you guys, including more interviews, hopefully, with uh, players just like Andrew. So I've been Eli Sussman here on Earning Their Stripes. As always, go fish. Go fish.